much, baby. Yeah. How was it? Great. One of the best jobs I ever had. Good for you. I killed. You killed. Slaughtered. Yeah. Wiped the floor with him. And not only that, the money was unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. Highest paying job I ever had. How much? Nah, nah, I'd rather. Oh, come on. Nah. It's not good for friends to talk about money. It can affect the friendship. <sighs> I tell you how much I make. And I'm always impressed. <laughs> Just show me the check. Come on. All right, fine. You want to see it? I want to see it. Okay. Yeah, check that out. Whoa. <laughs> this is unbelievable. I told you. You're rich. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't know you made that kind of money. Gee. What? I just don't think I can talk to you anymore. <laughs> I feel inferior. I never should have told you. You know, Jerry, I think this changes the relationship. <laughs> I mean, I feel it. Do you feel it? No, I can't feel anything. Well, what are you going to do with all that money? Actually, I was thinking of donating a large portion of it to charity. Really? No. <laughs> well, you should, Jerry. No, to tell you the truth, I was thinking of buying my father a new car. Now, you see, that's nice. Yeah, maybe a Cadillac. Cadillac, ooh la la. Yeah. That would really blow his mind. He's always wanted one his whole life. He's never been able to afford it. I'm gonna do it. You're gonna score some big points with the man upstairs on this one. Oh, isn't that what it's all about? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's the theology of charitable giving by Cosmo Kramer. Uh, no less of a source. Gotta love Kramer. But he's a little bit off, uh, biblically speaking, and it puts a strain. You know, money can be a great blessing. That's uh, pretty clear in life. But it, it can also be a heavy burden. And in this case, it's, you know, Kramer says, I, I don't even know if our friendship is the same anymore. I feel inferior. I, I, I don't know that we can be the same as we've always been. Money does that. It can, uh, it can pull friends apart. It, it can put strain in family relationships. It can stress us out as individuals. It, it, it can get its hooks into us so that we're not really managing our money, but our money is managing us. And, and that, that's a problem. So Kramer and, and Jerry go through this conversation, and I think it reflects pretty well on a lot of levels the problem when it comes to money. And it doesn't say in the Bible that money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. So I am not going to stand here because biblically it wouldn't be accurate. I'm not going to stand here and tell you that money's a bad thing, that money's an evil thing, that it's the wrong thing. That's not what the Bible says. It says falling in love with it. That's the root of all kinds of evil. Falling in love with money, thinking it's going to be a God because it makes a lousy God. If we lose our balance on the next screen on this, uh, go ahead and move to the next screen if you would, please. If we aren't careful, money can mess us up. We start to, to determine our identity, our, our status, other people's status and identity. The first thing we think about is how much money do they have? How are they doing? How big's their house? How fast is their car? Do they have any boats or vacation homes? Or on and on and on the list goes. It, it can lead to envy like it did for Kramer with Jerry there just for a moment. He'll get over it. He's Kramer. Uh, greed can get its hooks into us. Isolation. I've got a classmate from college who... Uh, has been wildly successful in a worldly way. He's made uh, all sorts of money, started all sorts of companies. Has, it's just multiplying. He's got investments, he's told me. We've kept in touch. All this kind of stuff. And he's, he's proud of it, and I'm happy for him for that. Except I'm kind of sad for him, too, at the same time, because it's, it's caused him to isolate. He says, I'm not going on any vacations, even though he could easily afford to tour the whole world. He could take one of those cruises around the world and, and, and take months to do it, and, and he'd still have plenty left over. 
that he won't do it because he's afraid that it makes his home more susceptible to robbery, to, to, for burglars to come. He's never been married, and there's nothing wrong with never getting married if that's your call, if, if that's how you see it. But in his case, he says he's wanted to get married, but he doesn't trust anybody enough to marry them because he's afraid all they want is his money. Isolation can be the end result of letting money become too big of a deal for us. Idolatry is another problem when we, when we lift up money as being the thing that's going to satisfy our souls. It's dangerous. The Bible has some really simple teaching on money. Not only does it say, don't fall in love with your money, but it says you reap what you sow. If you put selfishness out there, it's going to come back to you. Not in a kind of Eastern philosophy way, but just in a really practical down-to-earth way. If you're selfish and greedy and it's all about you and, and you think it's your God and you think it's going to be enough to make you happy and satisfy your soul, it's not going to... It's not going to play out well for you. It's, it's going to cause you to, to, hit, to crash in a lot of places along the way. And eventually you'll hit some dead ends too. Money, the Bible says, is something that, that we trip over. And there are two serious ditches that Christians fall into these days. The, the one is prosperity theology. It's, it's saying that, you know, uh, Christianity, our faith, our walk with Jesus Christ is just a means to a bigger end. And that bigger end is material things. That bigger end is prosperity. That bigger end is being rich and famous and popular and, and having status. And, and, and that's why we're Christians, is we follow Jesus so that we can have more of that. But Jesus isn't a means to an end. Jesus is the end and the beginning and every step along the way. And along the way, if you're blessed with things that you can take care of while you're here, that's fine. And that's the other biblical concept that a lot of us miss when it comes to material things is it's not ours. If it was yours, you could take it with you when you go. The old saying that there are no U-Hauls to heaven, it's true. You can't pack it up and, and take it with you. And so the investments that we make, the money that we have, the bank accounts, the things, the stuff... Just what we have to manage. It's ours in the sense that God has given us the authority to manage it and steward it. That's where the word stewardship comes from while we're here. But it isn't ours permanently. It's temporary. We've got it for now, but we will not have it forever and ever. So to live our whole lives for it is sort of putting things in a backwards kind of way and it's going to trip us up. It's going to mess things up. Over on the other side of the spectrum, the equally dangerous ditch is to say money doesn't matter then and so the really super spiritual people will say money can't be a blessing, it can't be a good thing, there's nothing in it for us. But that's not what the Bible says either and churches get manipulative here too. At least it's tempting for churches to get manipulative and this is what happens when the motivation for the church is what we really want, why we really want you to come and worship, why we really want you to get involved in our ministries is we really want your money. We really want you to give more. That, that, that's really what it's all about. When you talk to some People who've lost their way on this, you can ask them, did, did your church have a good year? Well, financially, this is what happened, is the first thing they say. If that's our motivation, if that's the heart of our church, then we've lost our biblical way. And the temptation comes then to teach things like, you know, you really have to tithe, and the implication is, wink, wink, if you really want to get saved, if you want to make sure you're going to heaven, make sure you're tithing. Tithing is this biblical concept Lifted up in the Old Testament where God gives us things to manage, money, stuff, possessions. And he says, set aside, the teaching is, God's law is set aside 10%, the tithe, the first 10% and live off of the 90. That way you'll have a charitable heart. That way you'll be giving. That way those who are in need will be taken care of. That way ministries will be supported and on and on the list goes. Good things will happen all the way around. 
Jesus comes along later in the New Testament and he says, when you tithe, so it's people who say, well, that's just an Old Testament thing. It's not a New Testament thing. Jesus assumed that his followers are tithing. When you do that, when you follow that law, as Christians, as followers of mine, when you set aside 10 and live off of the 90, then make sure you're doing it with your heart in the right place. But this is the danger. The church goes from that as a guideline, as something that, that if you're spiritually there, it's time to do that, to something that is used to be a litmus test for how strong your faith really is. Are you tithing and, or they make it a requirement of membership or in order for you to really be a part of this church and really fit in, you, you have to be a tither and, and we're going to check to see how much you're giving? Probably isn't the worst time for me to mention this. I have no idea what any of you are giving to the church. I refuse to let myself have the password and the access to those charts where I can see what you're giving. The only people who do are probably bored with those details because they're looking at these charts all day long. There are financial people so they can send you for tax purposes the recording of your giving and it's all on computer and they just send it out. It's between you and the Lord is the point. Here's what 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 7 says and this would sum up the way we approach money and giving as a church maybe better than any other verse in the Bible. Each of you must give as you make up your own mind. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. So whenever we teach about giving here, and, and we have to do it because it's a part of life. Money is, can be a huge part of life, especially when we make an idol out of it. So if you just want to have the kind of faith that's all about everything in your life except for your money, well, that's not a full faith. And so when we teach about giving, when we teach about stewardship, when, when we teach about money in this church, we go to God's word. And it says, each of you must give as you make up your own mind, not because we tricked you into it, manipulated it, because our big goal is that you'll give more so that we'll have more money. Truthfully, I mean, transparency here. You, you can peel back all the layers of hope and you just won't find that heart. That is not our motivation for you being here. That's not why we want you to come. We want you to come because we want you to experience the life-changing, transformational grace of God, his love that's poured out for you. And if you do, then in response to that, a whole bunch of other things are going to happen. A whole bunch, you're gonna, it's going to change the way you live, it's going to change the, your attitude, it's going to change the way you see your life, it's going to change the way you see your joys, it's going to change the way you see your sorrows, it's going to change the way you see your enemies, it's going to change the way you see forgiveness, it's going to change the way you give, it's going to change all sorts of things. It's going to create in us new hearts that are more generous than other hearts. So our motivation isn't just that you would somehow give more money and like that's going to do it. Our motivation is we want you to know Jesus Christ. We want you to be transformed. One of the natural fruits produced from that is we're going to learn that in our relationship with money, it doesn't manage us, but we manage it. There's a word for that. It's called freedom. <laughs> that you would actually be free. Whether you have a lot, like my classmate from college, who's isolated and money has its hooks into him, or you have less than nothing, and you don't know how you're going to make it through this week, you're still going to be okay. That God has you, and God has all of us, and God is with us. The last part of 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, pray about it. Pray about this gift. Ask God what he wants to do through you to accomplish his will for the church when it comes to our offerings. Because then the verse says this. It says, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
that giving would be cheerful, that giving would be something that fills our hearts with joy, that giving would be something that, that gives us life, that it would be a spiritual thing instead of a practical thing, instead of, well, I guess they got to turn the lights on so I should do my part. There's not a whole lot of joy in that. That you would have the joy of saying, the kind of joy you have when you give a gift to a loved one. You say, God, I believe in the mission that you're doing through your church, and so I want to support that. And you've given me this to manage while I'm here, so I'm going to set aside this much in order to do that. If we aren't careful, though, money can mess us up. It can mess churches up, too, who get legalistic with their teaching on tithing, implying or suggesting or directly saying, you have to do it if you really want to be a good Christian. That's not what the Bible says. Or the church uses, lifts up the story of the poor widow in the Gospels that's described, and Jesus is looking at the widow and says, look at her. She just gave her last two coins to the, to the temple. She put it in the treasury at the temple. Look at her. Look what she did. And almost always that's lifted up by churches is that's the example you're supposed to follow. If you're down to your last two coins, give them to the church and just watch how God will bless your socks off. It's going to be great. So, so if, you're, if you got a lot, give a lot. If you got a little, give it all. Apparently is what Jesus is saying. Not actually if you read the part right before that. And you don't even have to know the original Greek, although the Greek makes it really clear. You know what Jesus says right before? He says, look at her. She just gave her last two coins to the temple priest, to the church of their day. Right before that, he says, beware of the temple priests who love to, to, to parade around and get all the respect and reverence of the world around them, and they devour widows' houses, their livelihood, by guilting them, is the implication, into giving their last two coins. Like her. Look at her. Jesus isn't lifting her up as the example to follow if you're down to your last few coins, give them to the church. Jesus is saying shame on religious people who make people like her in her state of poverty feel like they have to give it to the church. The church, the temple should be supporting her, should be coming alongside of her financially, should be saying, what can we do for you? And that's why we do missions in this church. To come alongside of people who are hurting. To come alongside of people who are broken, locally, globally. To be the church, to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. To be generous about it. To give a huge chunk of our offerings. Our goal is always 50% every year. And we get super close to that or hit it, depending on the year. That we would give, of every dollar you give, half of it's going to go to our mission partners. That's our goal, that half of it would go to places that support people who are hurting in our community. That we would be light. That we would, be, we would have this generous spirit. The Bible says, to those who've been given much, and we are planted in an affluent community. To those who've been given and much, much is expected in return. And we take that to heart, not because we gotta in order to prove our faith, but because we get to. It's a habit of a highly effective Christian, which is what we've been looking at during this month of January. We, uh, highly effective Christians worship weekly and pray daily. They keep growing in faith. They know that love is the ultimate power move. They know that life is better together and we get into community and we have all those new groups starting this week. And today we're gonna focus on Highly effective Christians learn the biblical secret to success. The world will tell you it's make more money. That's how you get success. Get more stuff, have more things, or maybe they'll throw in there, get more power, get more status, achieve a place of, of leadership. And then, then that's going to be the secret. 
That's the thing that's going to fill your soul. That, that's gonna, the thing that's going to be sat, they're gonna satisfy you and make you content. But in our Bible reading for today, man, I love our Bible reading for today. It's my favorite chapter in the whole Bible. And it's a part of a four-chapter letter, short little letter the Apostle Paul wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit to the first century church in Philippi. And he wrote it from the dirt floor of a prison cell. And what's fascinating to me about that is the whole theme of this letter is joy. Not, gee, I hope you're having a better time these days than I am because I'm awaiting my execution. I'm being treated uh, like dirt. But rejoice with me, Paul is saying. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it, rejoice. My favorite verse in the whole Bible. Because of the inspiration of a guy who's completely down, who's destroyed, who doesn't have a penny left to his name, who's waiting execution. And he says, not rejoice if you're having a better day than me, but rejoice with me. Rejoice with me. He goes on to say a few verses later, eight verses later, I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether I have a lot or whether I have a little, which is what it says right after this. Whether I'm, next screen please. There it is. Whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. I've been wealthy and I've been poor, Paul says. But it doesn't matter. Because I've learned a secret that's bigger than how much money you have. Or how big your bank account is. Or how much you have as an annual income. I've learned a secret that's deeper. Do you want to know it? <laughs> it sounds like, you know, the end of the season teaser. So make sure you watch season seven next year. What's the secret? Or the headline on, uh, on the front that says, you know, make sure that you pick up the paper or, or the tease for the 10 o'clock news. Hey, tonight we're going to tell you the secret to success. Tune in at 10. In all situations, the secret to success. Here's the thing about it, though. This is God's word. This is not just somebody coming along saying, here's what I think the secret is. Tap into the personal power inside of you. Find the, find the will. Believe in yourself. Great. It's not a bad thing. Think positive. Don't worry, be happy. Do all these other selfie-helpy kinds of things. Great. Nothing wrong with it. Really, truly, nothing wrong. Better to, to have those attitudes, positive attitude. Better to be Tigger than Eeyore, right? But what Paul's pointing to is way deeper. It's biblical. It's timeless truth. It's God's wisdom for us. You know, the one who made us. The one who knows how we're wired up. The one who can tell us, this is what I made you for. And when you chase after the wind of money and possessions and materialism, thinking that's the most important goal in your life, and if you pass that on to your kids and, and to other generations, you miss the secret. And you're distracting them from the thing that's really going to give them joy. And it's really going to give them a peace which passes all human understanding, which is right here in Philippians 4, our Bible reading for today. Untouchable joy, a peace that passes all human understanding that the world's not going to get, and a contentment, a satisfied soul Paul's writing about. I've learned the secret, and it has nothing to do with whether I'm in prison or I'm free. It has nothing to do with whether I have a ton of money or no money. I've learned the secret. Squeeze this up a little bit, and he goes on to say this. For I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I've learned the secret, whether I have plenty or little, 
I can do all things. Everyone say all things. things. Say through Christ. Christ. That's the secret. I'll explain a little bit more what that means. I'll just let Paul tell us. And I'll point it out to you and I'll try to give you some illustrations along the way. But I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. It's the secret. More on that in a moment. Let me try to illustrate it. A few weeks ago, it was Snowmageddon here in Iowa, right? And we had um, this snow. This is a picture that one of my neighbors took of a bunch of us who were shoveling and snow blowing. When it's a regular snow, we all just go out and do our driveways and, and sidewalks, and it's all good, and it's not that hard. But when it's like this, like it was a few weeks ago here in central Iowa, we, uh, we come out together. And it's almost like right on cue, there's, a, there's almost like a conductor. It's as soon as the first garage goes up, it's like all the other guys in the neighborhood are listening for it. And it's the women too. I don't want to suggest it's all men. But the, but the garage doors go up, and then you hear this, this beautiful harmony of snowblowers ramping up. Right? And you know, one of our neighbors had COVID at the time, and another a family was out of town on a trip, and and somebody else had broken their leg and, and couldn't do it, and he's one of the ones who's always out there helping with everybody. And you know, isn't one of the reasons you get a snowblower? And I might be just talking to the snowblower fans out there right now. But isn't one of the reasons you get a snowblower so that you can just keep going? After you finish your driveway, and then you do the neighbors, and you, you, know, you do a little more of their sidewalk than your own. And, and while you're there, you might as well start on their driveway. And if you get all the driveways done, then you might as well start doing the street. <laughs> you know, all the driveways done, then you might as well start doing the street. <laughs> you know, even though I know if you're city of West Des Moines, I'm sorry, we're not supposed to do that. But it's there, you know? And there's snow on. My wife can get in and out of the house anytime she wants. <laughs> I don't know what it is about snowblowers that just bring out the machismo in, in, in guys like me. It's just like, oh, I've got this snowblower. And, and I'm not bragging, but if it's true, it's not bragging, right? Mine shoots higher than anybody else in the neighborhood. <laughs> it really doesn't, but in my mind, I just pretend it does, right? Because when you're in the middle of it, you're like, oh, look at that! Wow! So I've had this same snowblower for a long time, and, and we're out there, and we're, we're doing everybody else's snow and it made me remember a couple of winters ago I was getting my snowblower started it was another one of those big snow days and I'm out there and uh, you know you get the gas you make sure everything's set there you you prime it it says push it three times come on 35 times works a lot better and so you know you're 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 just you're just greasing it all up you want to get the fuel flowing right you you don't want to have to do a couple of false alarms on the pole and and so you know you're pumping it up and then I know, I know my snowblower, I know where the choke is supposed to be, just, just kind of that sweet spot, right, between too much and too little. I pop it to the sweet spot, I prime it up, I hit all the switches, I'm ready to go, I get, I get the pull rope, and I get in there, here we go, I'm, I'm going to join the chorus, everybody's out there humming, here we go, it's, I hit all the switches, I'm ready to go, I get, I get the pull rope, and I get in there, here we go, I'm, I'm going to join the chorus, everybody's out there humming, here we go, it's time for community, like, ah, oh, prime it some more, pull it again, nothing, come on, I'm going to miss all the Let's go, please. Lord, please, what have I done? I repent of all of it. 
Just let my snowblower start. I'm missing the party. Along comes my neighbor. I'm like, oh, insult to injury. This is going to be so humiliating. He's going to come over just to choke a little bit, pull once without even trying, and we'll start right up. That wasn't his agenda. He comes over, he goes, why are you pulling the rope, Mike? I'm pretty sure your model has a button. A what? An electric start button. Was not familiar with electric start buttons because I did not read the manual. Even though it's like on page two. Here's how you start the mower. You plug it in. I almost don't want my wife to hear this part. It's a manly struggle to start that snowblower and you have to, you have to pull with a lot of muscle just to get that thing going. Truth be told, all you got to do is plug it in and go, boop, and it starts right up. I got to tell you, this snowblower secret changed my life. It completely changed the way I approach snow and snow blowing. Now I'm even happier to get out there because the thing's plugged in and ready to go at all times. And it all winter long. And all I got to do is, you know, hit it and prime it a little and hit the button and, and we're off to the races. We're ready to go. Pastor Merv, the Reverend Dr. Merv Thompson, who's a part-time pastor here, a mentor to a lot of us. He says, and I'm going to do a really bad Merv impression here. You know, Mike... You're always just one small change away from major transformation. It's true. In this case, you're one small red button, electric start button, away from major transformation. Silly illustration to make a deeper point. Biblically speaking, you're one small secret, one small change away from radical transformation in a 24-7 kind of application way. In a way that's going to completely rock your world. Do you know the secret? And do you know how to apply it? Let's look at it again. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, which is one of the five most memorized verses in the Bible. Philippians 4.13. But if you, this is a good example of if you just pull the verse out of its context, you miss the fact that Paul's talking about money here. And he's talking about wealth or poverty, about about, about things to worry about and, and God's presence and power to overwhelm and overcome those worries. He's talking about the way we live and the things that we live for. And he says, here's the secret. A lot of times when we memorize this verse, we, we get all pumped up about the, I can do it. And we emphasize that I can do all things. It's me. It's my power. And God can come along too and help where I need it. But I can do it. I'm the one. I'm the one who gets the snowblower going. I'm the one who gets life going. I'm the one who can get through these hard times. I just need to, I'm the one who can, who can, who can pave the way to my own career. I can set it all out. I'm the one who can become famous. I'm the one who can become rich. I just have to believe it to achieve it. I just need to believe more in myself. But that's not what it says. That's not the secret. The secret with all due respect to all of that positivity and personal power 
is have you tapped into the power that's external, the power of the creator of the universe, the power of God who wants to fill up your soul and join you to Jesus Christ. Now you've got strength. Now you've got the power to overcome anything that's before you. Now you're reminded that there is a God and he looks square in the face of enemies you can't defeat. Your sin, for instance, my sin. And he says, I've got it erased. All the guilt and shame that comes with it, gone. You can walk out of God's house today, no guilt, no shame. Not because, oh, you did the right thing. You followed the religious formula. Simply by putting your trust in the God who's with you and making room in your heart and your mind to change the way you think and to change the way you feel. To find the truth, to find the secret. There's a God who looks square in the face of your death and says, I've got it covered Believing in yourself going to do that? Tapping into your own personal power? Have that potential to overcome death? I can do all things through Christ. Everyone say, through Christ again. That's the secret. It's not what I can do. It's the fact that I'm connected to the one who can do it all and has done it all. Which means we're going to start to live differently. It means this is going to be true in our family lives, that We're going to do things through Christ. It's going to be true with our friends. It's going to be true with our enemies. It's going to be true in our careers. It's going to be true in in, in school and with education and goals and purposes and and our free time and how we do our hobbies and, and, and how we use our time and our gifts and our money. It's not all about money, but it's partly about that and all these other things too. Here's the secret. Instead of compartmentalizing your life and say, I've got my family life, I got my social life, I got my educational life, I got my career life, I've got my hobby life, I've got all these things I do. Oh, I've got my spiritual life too. And that's a separate component. You know, it's one of the many over here. Here's the secret. Take your spiritual life with Christ at the center of it and take it square into the middle of every single aspect of your life. 24-7. So you aren't just doing the Jesus thing when you show up for worship on Sunday morning. You're doing it as you relate to your family. You're doing it as you relate to your friends. I'm telling you, this is going to change things for you. You're going to do it as you relate to your enemies. And so you're going to say, Jesus, what would you have me do in this situation of conflict? It's going to guide you. It's going to align you. And the more you get to know Jesus better, the more it's going to be very clear for you what you need to do. Jesus, how would you have me pursue my career? What would glorify you? What would honor you? Don't fall into the trap of thinking everybody has to go into ministry. It's not that at all. As Martin Luther said to a shoe cobbler, a shoe cobbler says, well, I found Jesus, and now I want Jesus in everything I do, so I guess I I have to quit my job as a shoemaker, and I have to go to seminary and become a pastor. And Luther says, not unless you're called. God needs shoemakers too, faithful ones. Be a faithful shoe cobbler. Make a good shoe. Sell it for an honest price, and you glorify God. But you do all things through Christ now. Your motivation is to honor God. The one who makes you glorify him instead of glorifying yourself. It's letting go of the stuff that has its hooks into you and controls you. And finding freedom from that and saying, I'm with Christ. Jesus is in my corner. And so as I look at my worries, I see him in a new perspective now. Rejoice in the Lord. Always, Paul says. Rejoice with me as he writes this days away from his own execution. And he knows it. But it can't touch my joy. I emphasized in the Lord. I made it bigger. 
because I don't want you to miss this. It's not rejoice always just because you should. It's not don't worry, be happy. It's way deeper than that. It's because you belong to the Lord. And Jesus was sent into this world for you. Receive that. Take in that gift. And it starts to change the way we live and breathe and think. And this is a massive theme throughout the Bible. Elsewhere in the scriptures, 1 Corinthians 10, the Bible says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Don't do it all for you. When you eat lunch today, when you watch the football games you're going to watch today, if that's your thing, whatever it is you do today, as you relate to neighbors and friends and, and, and get online and chat with people, whatever you do, do it in a God-conscious way. Do it all for the glory of God. As you go to work, do it for the glory of God, not the glory of your boss. Especially if you don't like your boss. This is going to be a game changer. It's like the red button on the snowblower. Live and breathe and serve and give and love and care for the glory of God. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord. In Old Testament wisdom literature, the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's not just joy that we find in our circumstances. Hopefully we're making more money now. That's our strength. It's the joy of the Lord that's our strength. This is the secret, folks. This is what highly effective Christians do. You say, great, but I'm still not quite sure how to do that in the Lord thing. How do I do all things through Christ? How do I tap into that strength? First of all, give yourself a little grace. You're not always going to get this perfectly. I don't know anybody who does. But then have some things around you. Get into some habits. This is why worshiping weekly is so important and daily being in prayer and in God's word is so important because the reminders come. This is who God is. This is who you are and God's with you. You don't have to face these worries and these burdens and these stresses and these diseases and these pandemics by yourself. I'm with you. I've got you and I've got this. How do we rejoice in the Lord always then? Number one, Paul says, we'll just go right through the next three verses. Have a you first, not me first attitude. He writes, let everyone see that you're considerate in all you do. The Greek word here, the original text is Greek for considerate. means way more than just considerate. It means your selfishness takes a permanent vacation. Especially if you have power. Especially if you're in a position of privilege. You start, especially if you have wealth. Especially if you have status. You don't use it to lord over people. You don't use it to say, I'm winning and you're losing. You use it to serve. You use it to make the world a better place. You use it and you give it away. Let everyone see that you're considerate in all you do, that you live a life where you get into a relationship, a friendship, a, a group, and you don't say, what's in this group for me? What's in this friendship for me? But the first question is, what's in this that I can give? What if you did marriage that way? Well, that's the way the two become one. Because if you're both trying to get the upper hand all the time, it's a tug of war. And you'll never be one. But if you push the button, if you learn the secret and apply it to your life, now you wake up in the morning and you say, how can I serve her? Instead of, what's she going to get me today? And it changes everything. Because if you're pursuing your spouse and your spouse is pursuing you, if you're pursuing your friendships and your friends are pursuing you in a selfless way instead of selfish, oh, that's... That's contentment, that's freedom, that's untouchable joy. 
That's a peace that passes all human understanding. There are no shortcuts. You first, not me first. Number two, Paul says, next verse, it's anything and everything. Don't worry about anything. Everyone say anything. anything. Think about your worries. They're anythings, right? Instead, pray about everything. It's anything and everything. We all got problems. <laughs> We've all got worries. And some of you have major, major stresses right now. A shallow theology would say, well, hopefully you'll get through that and you'll get to the point where you can be happy again. A shallow perspective on these things would say, if you could just get more money, then you could breathe again. Then you'd be happier. Look, it's not to say that those things don't matter. The Bible says if you got mountains of debt, you're a slave to the one you're indebted to. Get out of debt. Find a plan. We've got counselors here for you on that. We've got Bible-based classes for you on that. Money does matter. It's not to say it doesn't matter. But God's bigger. Rejoice in the Lord. You can do all things through Christ. Don't worry about anything. It doesn't mean there aren't worrisome things in the world. It's just put them in the perspective of the God who's in your corner. And now look again at your worries and ask yourself this question. How long will my worries last compared to my relationship with Jesus Christ? Which one is going to fade into the background first? Which one's going to disappear first? Even if you have a disease that's going to take your life from this earth. Which one's going to last longer, the disease or the relationship you have with an eternal God? So it means that we remember and we're reminded and we walk 24-7 in this God-conscious way. It isn't to minimize or to say there is nothing to be worried about in this world. Of course there is. It just gives us a new perspective on it. Here's how you do it. Paul goes on and gives us even more practical tips. Tell God what you need when you pray. Some of us are going to have to upgrade our prayer lives. Because <laughs> yours might be dormant. Well, this is the secret. You might need to get that going again. And when you pray, focus on these two things. Ask God what you need. What's burdening you, what you're afraid of, what you're worried about. And secondly, give thanks to God for all he's done. Watch what this does. Thank you, God, for creating me. Thank you, God, for giving me breath, which I've learned to take for granted, but I probably shouldn't when I consider the cosmos and how small I am in the grand plan of your whole universe. And yet you care enough about me that you gave me life and you breathe it into me. Thank you for that. Thank you not only for that, but thank you for being with me. Thank you for giving me direction. Thank you for showing me your way. Thank you for teaching me your truth. Thank you for showing me the, the better life. Thank you for showing me meaning and purpose. Thank you for giving me a mission. Thank you for giving me the potential for community. Thank you for giving me the potential for friends. Thank you for giving me uh, forgiveness for all my sins. Thank you for giving me your amazing grace. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to take on the enemy of death that I cannot defeat on my own. Thank you that he's in my corner and I belong to him. Thank you that death won't get the last word in my life. Thank you for opening up the kingdom of heaven for me. Thank you. Did you forget? You are so blessed. I am so blessed. We are so rich. And this isn't just a, and, and that means you shouldn't be worried about, there isn't anything worrisome in your life. Of course there is. But thank God for the blessings that he gives that we learn to take for granted. Be reminded of who God is so that we stand up and rejoice and it changes the way we think. Next verse. 
Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. In other English translations, it says, God's peace, which passes all human understanding. And his peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Notice it doesn't say, go out there and find your peace. Go out there and try to discover it. Go out there and try to find it with some guru somewhere. It says, now just just let God's peace come in. That he's knocking on the door of your heart with. Change the way you feel in your heart. Change the way you think. Be considerate. The Greek word again, it's not just your actions, it's the heart and the motivation behind it. It's the goal isn't that you give more, the goal is that God would change your heart. And one of the outcomes of that is you and I, we're going to be more generous, which is ultimately going to bless us and set us free. This is the secret. Then you'll experience God's peace. And his peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It changes everything. It's easy in this world to go the other way, though. I'm telling you today, you've got a choice. Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. He's talking about salvation. The only way we get saved isn't because we made a right choice. The way we get saved is because of God's amazing grace. And we simply trust it, believe in it, receive it. But there's a lot riding on this. Learning the secret is one thing, applying it to your daily life, living a 24-7 God-conscious life underneath the umbrella of God's grace because you won't do it perfectly. It's going to change your life for the better and forever. This is the secret. I'm not telling you this because Mike Householder came up with it. I'm just announcing it from Philippians 4 for you, from God's word. The God who made you said, this is the secret that you're missing. A lot of people in this world are missing it. Live your life through Christ. Be 24-7 God conscious. And you will have an untouchable joy that your circumstances can't get to. You will have a peace that passes all human understanding. And you will have contentment, a satisfied soul. And you will see things for what they are. Enemies, stresses, friends, money, your time, your schedule, your career, your family, your community, your church. On and on it goes. You start to see it for what it is. For the way God has created it to be. Man, it's going to change us. It's the secret. And highly effective Christians do this. Your salvation does not depend on it. But the quality of your life, this side of heaven, certainly does. One small change can lead to radical transformation. Completely change your life. If we don't, we're going to end up feeling and acting and sounding a whole lot like Jerry and Kramer and Jerry's dad, Morty, and Morty's friend at the Buca de Bella Bippo Retirement Center or whatever. It's, it's not called that. It's something like that. Let's take a look. I can't believe you're buying your father a car. And best of all, it's a Cadillac. <laughs> a Cadillac? Wow. I had no idea you had this kind of money. <laughs> well, what do you think? Look at this. Look at this. <laughs> you bought a Cadillac? I bought it for you. It's yours. You what? You bought me a Cadillac? I bought you a Cadillac. There you go. Are you out of your mind? <laughs> we can't take this. You don't want it? 
Are you kidding? He's not buying us a Cadillac. What are you, nuts? It's a very nice gesture, Jerry, but take it back. Can you believe this? I'm not letting him buy us a Cadillac. He hasn't got that kind of money. How do you know? Oh, get out of here, Mr. Big Shot. Why can't I buy my father a car? Your father doesn't need a car. Yes, I do. Oh, Marty. We're keeping it. Over my dead body. Uh, give me the Well, this worked out just as I had hoped. Hello. Jerry. Hi, Jack. So, how do you like this? Whose car? It's mine. Yours? That's right. My son bought it for me. He what? My son bought me the car. It's a present. You bought it? That's right, I bought it. You ever see one so nice? Some car. You want to take a ride? No, thank you. Come on, take a ride. You want to take a ride? Why not? I don't feel like taking a ride. Do I have to take a ride? He doesn't want to take uh -huh. a ride. What do you think? I've never ridden in a Cadillac before. Believe me, I have ridden in a Cadillac hundreds of times. Thousands. Thousands? What do you think? You're such a big shot now because you got a Cadillac. Ah! Uh, ah! Did you believe that guy? Nah. Uh. Nah. Sometimes it's good to give the world a ah. Think about all your worries. Think about your burdens. Think about your grief. Think about your sorrows. Just for your own health, for your own well being. Once in a while, I think it's good to give it a whole ah! I didn't get the promotion at work. I don't, eh, I don't make as much as I want to. Eh. My kid didn't make the team. Eh. Eh, I, I have a relationship that isn't working out the way I want it to. Eh. Go ahead and do it, wherever you are, whatever location you're at right now. Think about your worries. Think, think about your burdens and give them a big one, two, three. Eh. A, Morty a Morty Seinfeld air. Uh, not yet. Let's do it together. It'll be more fun. <laughs> Some of you are like, I can't wait to, ah! Ready? Think about it. One, two, three. Yeah. Feels a little better, doesn't it? I got a secret for you. It's not mine. It's God's through his word. It's the one Paul told the church in Philippi, inspired by the Holy Spirit to tell him, you're going the wrong way. Sometimes you just got to say, ah, to your problems. But even more importantly, you got to remember that Jesus is in your corner. <laughs> the one who took on our sin and erased it. The one who took on our death and destroyed it. The one who gives us direction and meaning and purpose and mission and life and opportunities and breath. It's not eh, it's yeah! Oh, we gotta do one of those, don't we? To turn from, from, from that to this and, and to the Chiefs fans, to the Hope Local City, uh, Hope local Kansas City site. I know you're doing this last week when you beat the Buffalo Bills, but go easy. We're one in Christ here, and there's a former linebacker from the Buffalo Bills who's sitting in row six right here, right over there. So you be kind to him, right? That had to be hard for a Bills fan. Are you okay? <laughs> eh. Right, yeah. And I see Chiefs fans all over the church today and Rams fans and 49ers fans and, and the whole deal. More power to you. But what if you had a joy that wasn't dependent on your team winning? Oh, trust me, I have a lot of experience with this as a Bears fan. What if it was untouchable? What if you had something deeper? And what if it wasn't just something as surface level as sports? What if it was your whole life? What if you had a relationship with something deeper, with something more, so that you could be celebrating, so that you could be looking at your life honestly, not making it up, 
Not just, you know, look on the bright side, it'll be better. But just claiming the reality of how much God loves you and what he's willing to do for you. And so we celebrate. So let's close with that. On the count of three, instead of saying math, think about the blessings. Think about the rich wealth that God has given to you of life and life to the full and life eternal and life directed and life satisfied in your soul. Think about all that on the count of three. Say one, two, three. Yeah, one, two, three. Yeah. Oh, don't think about you and all you, you got to do. You can do all things through Christ. Say through Christ. Through Christ. One, two, three. Yeah. Let's keep the celebration going for one more song. Stand up and together let's sing wherever you are.